Well, good morning and happy new year. This is my, I guess my first time preaching in the new year, which is exciting. Um, I'm excited that uh, we're starting a new series in this new year, exploring uh, the character of God, who God says he is throughout scripture. And as we enter this new year, oftentimes at New Year's, a lot of people begin to make resolutions for themselves. We come up with all kinds of different things that we want to reflect on in the past year and look to change for this year. Maybe sometimes we think about resolutions in regards to our eating habits or exercise routines I mean, personally, you know, this will be my 10th year trying out a new exercise routine and and, an eating plan for myself, right? And then usually about the two-week mark, uh, I've just fallen off the wagon and chosen to do something completely different, right? We've all been there. We all have said that we were going to do something and then somehow fall off. But the idea there, though, is always that we're seeking to change, whether It's also maybe some personal character development that we want to work on or some mental health improvement or even making some better financial decisions in the new year. Lots of times the new year is this time and this opportunity for us to evaluate all kinds of things and then make a change for our life. To say, I want to do things different in this new year. All of us are constantly making those evaluations maybe throughout the year, but but New Year's is a particular time for us to really, really reflect because it's it seems like everything, it's like the perfect start to a new beginning. I mean, January 1 is the start of a new year. Why don't we look for ourselves and see how we can do things different? I know for me, like this year, I've been thinking about changing my diet and making sure that I'm eating healthier, drinking more water, committing to more exercise. In fact, if you see me uh, around town now, you'll probably see me uh, going through town on a bike. Uh, I decided that, you know what, if I'm going to be trying to get healthier, uh, I probably need to stop driving a car everywhere. Our town isn't really big enough for me to have to justify driving the one mile it takes to get to the church. I can, I can ride a bike in that one mile about in the same amount of time that it takes me to drive a car. And so that's just one way I'm going to commit to looking at getting healthier in this new year. And maybe you've come up with something too. But over these next several weeks, I want us to kind of look at Uh, what this relationship that we might have with God might look like, right? To think about how maybe one of the things that we can commit to, that we can spiritually commit to, is changing our relationship with him. And I think one of the ways that we can personally be doing that is by reflecting on who is it that God says he is, How can I personally grow in my life and in my relationship with the Lord by knowing who Father God is, who Jesus the Son is, and who the Holy Spirit is? Well, this morning, as we personally begin to think about change in each of our lives, we're actually going to read a passage about how God does not change. Our passage this this morning comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. And so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open to that passage. We're going to be in that, and we're going to look at the context of it at some point. But in Hebrews 13, 8, I actually, if you read our newsletter, you've already seen this passage. 
because I used it in the newsletter article for this new year. Thinking about there are going to be lots of changes that happen in our life. There might be changes that happen in the life of the church, but there is still good news that we can cling to. And so our passage this morning from Hebrews 13 verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we gather in this place this morning, let us see the truth of these words and what they mean for us to hear that you, the Lord, do not change, that you are unchanging in all of your ways, in your entire being. And so, Father, as we come to you this morning, I ask that you would make very little of me, but you would make very, very much of yourself. And that we would find that in your unchanging existence, that we can rely on you, that we can trust you, that we can believe you, and that we can know you. And so, Lord, let yourself be known this morning and be glorified. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, even though our focus is on just one verse, I want us to go ahead and look at the entire context of the passage. And so let's go ahead and back up a little bit to the beginning of chapter 13 in Hebrews. So 13 verse 1 begins, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are ministered since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my help for I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. And consider the outcome of the way of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So at first we hear our one verse that we're focusing on today, and we, this is fantastic and great news, but then we read the context in which that verse is stated, and then we start to think to ourselves, uh, that seems rather randomly inserted there. It doesn't seem that the author of Hebrews is speaking at all about the eternal, unchanging character and existence of Jesus Christ, of Father God, or the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we read that passage in context, it seems that the author of Hebrews is trying to give instruction and exhortation to his readers about how those Christians should be living their Christian life. Living in a manner, as Paul says in his letter to the Thessalonians, 
Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions he gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, I read that to you, and Paul actually continues in his letters to the Thessalonians to then start talking about what brotherly love looks like and what leadership looks like and thinking about these things. And so, really, it's interesting that every element in our Hebrews passage can seemingly also be found in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, and it's really reverberated throughout all of Scripture's how one can ultimately live a holy life before God. These, these things that we are called to in living holiness. But again, that brings us back to, well, what in the world is our passage, our verse, doing in this passage? How could we ever consider the entire context of this passage from today, right? How can we look at that passage and think about these things that are being taught to the Hebrews and the Thessalonians, how can we say that those apply today? Well, as we think about the letter of written to the Hebrews, to that end, and to what purpose was it written? Well, that the readers would see and know the primacy and the preeminence of Christ in creation. And that is atoning work for salvation is present. In other words, the author of Hebrews wanted to put Jesus on full display for all to see him for who he really and truly is. In fact, if we actually back up one more verse from the context of our passage today, in Hebrews 12, verse 8, we read this, or verse 28, we read this, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So in other words, as we begin to take our one verse about Jesus, who does not change, who is the same yesterday and today and forever, and then we read it in the context of holy Christian living, and then read one before that about the therefore, why do we need to do this Christian living? It is because God is exactly who he says he is. He's an unchanging, established God of all creation. He's an all-consuming fire. And in Jesus, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In other words, when we know what it is that we have received through the one who has given access to it, that is Jesus, in his own work, that is his sacrifice on the cross, then we will live in the manner described by the author in Hebrews. And that is how we read this verse in its full context. It's not 
taken out of context to know that Jesus is the same and that we should also be living a holy life. In fact, as we heard from Brian Scoggin last Sunday, we learned that we don't follow the command of Christ to show our love for God, but is that in our love for God that we want to follow and be obedient to his commands. And so when we understand the character of God as unchanging, then we actually want to believe him for who he is and live a life of holiness. But I want us to start thinking about how these verses actually apply to us today, specifically this verse 8. That is, the ultimate question that we want to ask and answer is exactly what our verse offers. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And I don't need to stand up here and give each account of how much things have changed already and how much things are changing, right? I mean, we've already stated at the start of each new year, all of us, many of us, we make decisions about how we are going to change, how we ourselves are interested in changing for the better. better. Humanity is not unacquainted with change, whether it's at a micro level in our individual lives or at a macro level as we see society and cultures and civilizations changing throughout time. At an individual level, we biologically progress from birth to childhood to adolescence into adulthood and eventually into old age. And along the way, none of us are the same person that we were in each of those stages of life. We are constantly changing beings. But that is how we were created. And sometimes in life, we have those changes thrust upon us because of the demands required, whether it's from dependence to independence to interdependence, whatever that might look like but also because we deliberately choose to make changes in our lives because of who we want to become. Or maybe because we face outside pressures about what it is that we should be. So change is not something that is unfamiliar to us. But in today's passage, we are reminded that there is something, someone, in this expanse of reality that does not, never has, and never will change. You see, Jesus Christ, and by Jesus, we also mean God in Father and in Spirit. We can actually see this in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And so though we may be familiar with change, changes, in fact, makes up our entire existence. And so it can be hard for us to begin to fathom and imagine what an unchanging reality is. And yet that is exactly who God is and who he wants us to know him as, as a God that is unchanging. 
In fact, as we explore this character trait of who God is, I think it's actually where we exactly need to start. Because if we don't start with God's unchanging character, then we can see that his character could change. And that would make the rest of this series pointless, and you should just not attend church for the next several Sundays. But alas, God doesn't change. We call this his immutability. His immutability. And this is why we start here. We start here because if we're going to use Scripture as our evidence of who God says he is, then we must be assured that he is not changed from who he is then to who he is now. Because as we look at Scripture, we're taking texts thousands of years old. And God is describing himself in those passages But if God is able to change, then we could assume that none of those passages are even relevant or matter anymore. But by grace, we know that's not true. And so, God is who God is in eternity past, present, and future. God has not, does not, and he will not change And that's the first unchanging aspect of God's immutability. It is his eternal existence. His existence at no point in time has God ever not been eternal. And at no point in time will God not be eternal. His existence is unchanging. Our call to worship this morning came from Psalm 102, 25 through 27. And I'm wondering if any of you caught it, but it says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment, and you will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you, O God, are the same And your years have no end. In this passage, we learn that creation had at its very had a very beginning, and it will have an end. But but God is God, and in Him there is no change in His existence. For all time, God will in fact exist. In fact, if you go backwards in time from this point right now, creation will have its end, but not God. As we go backwards in time, we can go for an eternity in that direction and never find a time and place where God did not exist. You cannot reach a place that he was not. But if we go forward in time, if we go for all eternity in the other direction, into the future, we still cannot reach a place that God will not be. He always was. He always will be. His existence is completely unchanging. But why? Why is that important for us to know? Well, if we had a God that was changing in his existence, if we had a God that had a beginning, then we'd have to question how that God began. Because then he would just be another created being like one of us. 
He would just be another mute and worthless idol like all of the idols expressed in the Old Testament carved out of wood and metal. That wouldn't be good for us. And if God had an end, then his promise of eternity would mean nothing. His promise for our eternal salvation would be a moot possibility. But for us, we do have a God who never changes in his existence. Okay, so we know God is eternal. His existence doesn't change. He's a being that always was and always will be. But how do we know that his character doesn't change? I mean, his existence may be unchanging, but does that not guarantee that God in his internal existence cannot change who he is? Well, I've used a, a verse many times before in here, but we've never really explored it. It always, always has kind of been like a, a, a verse that I've used during our offering time. But I want to explore it today just a little bit. It's James chapter 1, verse 17. And it says this, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. You see, what James is really telling his readers is that every good thing that can be called good and any perfect thing that could be called perfect, that comes from one single source, Father, God. There is but one source of every good thing and every perfect thing. Let me kind of explain what I might think as a good and perfect gift. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to see a perfect sunrise or even a sunset while sitting on the beach. And as the refraction of light bounces across the sky in the most glorious array of color, it also simultaneously reflects off of the dancing water. And that water literally carries the vast untouchable sky to your very feet. That is a gift that I would consider good and perfect that could only come from the Father. I'll try this one on. For many of you, you have been blessed with the gift of children, whether they are your own or somehow you have taken care of or, or been a spiritual parent for them. You and only you can know the joy that comes, even though they're not perfect, right? Kids have their own things and sinfulness that they got to work out. And yet, and yet there is a joy there that you would not trade for the world. You look into your eyes and you know the goodness and love that they had brought into your life. And you cannot comprehend or understand. That is a perfect and good gift that can only come from the Father. And so those gifts, these gifts that come from God, James says, it is in a God in whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Meaning that if he 
is the giver of every good and perfect gift, then he cannot be the giver of any bad or malicious gift. He cannot give them because it is outside of his character and he has never, nor can he ever, give them because he does not and cannot change who he is. There is no variation or shadow due to change. So he gives good and perfect gifts. He gives good and perfect gifts. Gifts, And therefore we see in that one verse this character trait of the goodness and the perfection and the holiness of God and how he cannot change that aspect of him because in him there is no variation. There can be no shadow, which means there's no darkness, which means he will not change who he is. But if we need more proof, of who God says he is, then why don't we just look at his name himself? This is what God says to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. You see, the very name of God given by by God to Moses is in the words of J.I. Packer, because he says it better than I can. The very name of God is a declaration of his self-existence and his eternal changelessness. A reminder to mankind that he has life in himself and that what he is now, he is eternally. By God's very nature, he cannot change who he is and his very name is evidence of his unchanging self of his own self-existence. I am who I am. He who is, is who he shall forever be. And so ultimately, we come to this final begging question about God's immutability. God does not, does that God does not change, does that even matter to us? Does it matter that God is unchanging, right? Does it matter that God cannot change? Okay, so we've established that he doesn't change. We've seen that his character doesn't change, but why does that even matter to me? And why does it matter to you? What purpose does it serve that God is immutable? People change all the time, right? We talked about that from the very beginning. New Year's is a time for us to choose to change. Our very biology is an existence of change. And as our biology, biology changes, as, our, as we go through life stages, we have to constantly adjust who we are, what we do, why we do what we do. So why does it matter? Why does it matter that God is so unchangeable? 
Even as we look around us in society today, we see society changing at such a rapid pace that it's never progressed before. In so many ways, truth no longer has a place in modernity. Nonetheless, religion. So should God not change as we have developed as a society? Why don't we just go with that? Why don't we just believe that God is so able to change who he is that no matter what we believe as a society, God is okay with? Well, I love the words of A.W. Pink. He says this. This is the truth about God's unchanging ways and why it matters ultimately to us. And I'll unpack it. But A.W. Pink says this, he cannot change, talking about God, for the better. For he is already perfect. And being perfect, he cannot change for the worse. So what does that have to do with these questions that we're asking about why it matters? Well, here's the truth. If God can change, then there are only two ways that he can change. He can either change for the better or he can change for the worse. Let's start with the worse. If God can change for the worse, then it will certainly not be for our good. It would be very, very bad if God is a God who changes for the worse. Indeed, if it is for the worse, then it definitely will not be for our good. Because what kind of God would he become if he got worse? An evil God? And how evil? Just a little bit evil? Well, if he can become a little bit evil, then he can become a little bit more evil. And then eventually, it would become a lot of bit evil, and then God could be wholly evil if God could change for the worse. And to be quite honest, what kind of person would ever want to believe, trust, follow such a God who is so able to change in time that it becomes worse and worse and worse and worse and worse? It would never be for our good. Okay, so we don't want a God that can change for the worse. But society is progressing. As far as people see it in the world, we're progressing for the better. So can God not change for the better? Right? I mean, certainly God wants to change for the better. But that wouldn't be good for us either. Because here's the problem with thinking about God being a changeable God who can get better. It creates this enormous issue because it would mean that God is not perfect already, as A.W. Pink pointed out. And if God isn't perfect already, then there is nothing of God that we should or could trust in right now. If God isn't already perfect, if God isn't already the very best that he could possibly be, then there is absolutely zero reason that we should trust him. There is no reason we should trust his purpose, his plan. There's no reason we should trust that the work of Christ was good enough. We could not possibly follow a God that could change for the better because that would mean in some way he's worse right now. 
that would mean that he is worse right now. That doesn't bode well for us. And I already said it, but ultimately it means that God can change his purposes. That is, primarily, that in Christ Jesus, from the very beginning, the purpose for our redemption could be changed and revoked. That the very work of Jesus would be meaningless, pointless, fruitless. That Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection would have served no historical significance. It would serve no spiritual significance. And it certainly would serve no eternal significance. That's what happens when we mean that God can change. It means that God can change everything about all things that has already been and all that is and all that will be. That would leave us in such an uncertain place in our Christian walks that how could we ever believe anything, anything taught to us, anything we read in Scripture, any prayer we ever pray, any promise written down by the prophets, but even the very work of Christ himself would have to be come into question if God wasn't changing. But by grace, there is truth and truth eternal that when God declared a curse upon the snake in the garden, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. From the very beginning, God had a plan of redemption and it is irrevocable and it is unchanging. And it was the same then, it was the same yesterday, it is the same today, and it will be the same tomorrow. This truth, this purpose, this plan of redemption was set forth for all time for our good and for our salvation. And God most certainly has not changed from that. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we acknowledge that you are unchanging and immutable in all of your ways. God, that in you there is hope and purpose because you had purpose and plan for each and every one of us. That is the greatest news for who you are and all that you have done and all that you have been. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.